Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. in a series called It's Complicated. It's just a relationship series, but more specifically, how the what's known as the fruits of the Holy Spirit affect our relationships. If you're not familiar with the term fruits of the Holy Spirit, basically here's what that means. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, invite him to take control of your life, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you and produces these things known as fruits. They're there are supernatural characteristics of God that he gives you that you can live out and use in all areas of your life. But right now we're talking about relationships, so we're going to kind of focus on that area. And these fruits of the Holy Spirit, there are nine of those. Love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and goodness. And today we're going to talk about this thing called gentleness. And I want to say this before we get into it, that I believe that gentleness might be the most misunderstood and underappreciated fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's almost like people are nervous about being gentle because we are convinced and we've, we've been kind of conditioned to believe that in this world that we live in, if you're going to get ahead in any way that you've got to scratch and claw and bite and fight your way to the top... And if you show any sign of what is perceived weakness, which gentleness is not, as you're going to see, but if it's perceived weakness, then there are going to be people who run over you, people who take advantage of you, people who um, are, are, are at least in our mind, the ones that seem to be rising to the top are the people who are more aggressive, and gentleness is kind of the opposite of that. So how do we reconcile all of that. And that's what we're going to look at today because I think when you understand what gentleness is, you're going to realize if it is truly a fruit of the Holy Spirit, in other words, that it's a characteristic of God that lives inside of us, then it ought to be something that comes out. It ought to be something that we, that we don't just underappreciate, but we like seek after being gentle in a world that's very cruel, in a world that's, that's kind of in your face. Sometimes gentleness is the answer. So today, what I want to do is I just want to kind of define what it is in biblical terms, and then I want to talk about who needs it in our relationships, how we can express gentleness at times in people's lives. So let's just define it. And here is, if you're kind of a note taker, you, you, you just kind of might jot this down, that gentleness, here's the definition, it's power under control. It's, it's, it's power under control. It's not, it's not the lack of power. It's having the power but, but making the decision that I'm going to throttle back on the power that I have. Jesus said in what's known as the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes were eight things that, that Jesus said that God would bless. These eight characteristics or mannerisms or whatever you want to call them that Jesus would bless and one of those is gentleness. And so if it's the, in his top eight of what is people are going to be blessed with, we ought to be leaning in and understanding how important it is. And here's what he said. He said, blessed are the meek. Now, meek um, can also be used um, synonymously with gentleness. In fact, some translations use the word gentleness. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And I think all of us want to be blessed and he said that one of the ways to do that is through our gentleness. Now, 
Gentleness, again, is power under control. It's not a lack of power. It's having control of that power. And, and we all know that if you have power that's out of control, that's not a good thing. When I was 16, I got my driver's license. And that was a good day for me. I, I, I loved getting my driver's license. The day I turned 16, I got my driver's license. And about that time, um, my dad bought a brand new car. And it really technically wasn't mine, but I drove it all the time. It was a, um, it was a Rally Sport Camaro. And there's going to be a picture, I think, of this thing. Okay, this, okay that, that was not actually the car, but that was the car. Okay, this is a, from the Internet, but that was the car. The yellow with the black. It had a custom interior, and it was a little more souped up than other Camaros of its day. This was a limited edition, and I'm 16 years old, and I'm driving this thing. That's pretty good when you're 16, right? But here's the deal. It had a lot of power, much more power than I was able to control. It's a good thing I'm still here to talk to you today. Because I didn't really know what I was doing when I got behind the wheel. And it was, I should have been in something like, I should have been in like a Kia or something. I shouldn't have been in that car. Because it was too much for me. I wasn't ready for that. And we all have probably been exposed to leaders or someone who had authority or some sort of power over us. And they were in a position of authority over us that used that power in a negative way, that it, they abused the power. Maybe it was a, a boss that you worked for. Maybe it was a relative that was in a position of authority over you, and they abused that power. And you were on the receiving end of that. And so now you look at that and go, man, I, I don't know about all of this. Because power out of control is a bad thing. If you don't believe me, just look over in the country of Ukraine right now. You've got a, you've got a Russian leader who is power-hungry, and he's out of control. And when that happens, all of a sudden now, the aggression takes place. People are being killed, displaced from their country. And it's, it's an awful thing. We see it living right in front of our eyes. In fact, I think we ought to just pause and pray for the people of Ukraine. Also, the world and even many of the Russian people who don't believe in what's going on right now. So why don't we just pause? We pray because... There, is a lot of, there are a lot of people being killed and on homeless, being run out of their country right now. Father God, we just lift up people who are in harm's way right now. We pray, God, that you would intervene, that there is a leader that's out of control. You would do what you need to do because you control even the leaders of government, God. We know that, that, no, that there is no one with more power than you. So, God, we just pray that you would protect those people in harm's way, that you would, you would bring an end to that war, bring peace, bring comfort, and do what only you can do, God. We, we, we intercede for those people right now who are running for their lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Power out of control is a bad thing. Power under control is a beautiful thing. Think about fire. Fire out of control can take a beautiful wilderness forest area in a matter of minutes through a wildfire can destroy it when it's out of control. But that same fire, if you put it under control, can do wonderful, great things. They can warm you. They can cook food. It can do good things. A disease out of control can kill millions of people through a pandemic 
but that disease under control could be used to create a vaccine to save millions of lives. Water out of control can bring floods that leave a path of destruction, but water under control can be used to turn a turbine to light a city. In relationships, power out of control can bring abuse and fractured families. Power under control can bring health and happy homes. See, here's the thing we need to understand, that gentleness is having power but keeping it under control, and it is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which means, this is what you've got to interpret, is that, that God who is omnipotent, has all power, all power, and yet God chooses to show us gentleness in the way that he deals with us. It's it's something we ought to strive for, not shy away from. We, We are not called to be like the world when it comes to these things. In fact, Jesus talked about the difference of people of the world and their leadership versus people of the kingdom of God and their leadership. He said, the, he said the rulers of this world, they lord their leadership or their, their power over their subjects. In other words, they push their weight around. They flex on their people that are underneath them. But Jesus says that's not the way it's supposed to be for those in the kingdom of God. In fact, the way that we're supposed to respond is just the opposite. He said if you want to be great, you don't claw your way to the top, you serve your way to the top. We live in a different, we're called to live at a higher level, and gentleness is one of the ways we can get there. Jesus always operated that way. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Then "Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and what? Gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, all of you who carry these heavy burdens. You know, a lot of us have heavy burdens today. I know in this room, many of us are carrying some burdens that, that, quite frankly, that we need to give to him. He said, take my yoke upon you. It's easy. It doesn't mean life's easy, but when you give your cares and burdens to him, that he takes the weight of that. The yoke, the word yoke there is, we don't use it a lot in in this culture back then. They knew what he was talking about. A yoke was a wooden device that was put over animals, usually oxen, to carry a load or do some work because they didn't have modern machinery like we did. So if you wanted to plow a field or you wanted to carry something that was really heavy, you got some animals that that had the horsepower to do that. So you would take these oxen, and you would put one who was the strong one, the older one, the more experienced one, and you would yoke him in this device where they were shoulder to shoulder, and you would put the younger, less experienced one, the, the weaker one, beside him, and they would get the work done together. This guy was just learning from this one, but this guy was doing all the work. And what Jesus was saying, take my yoke, yoke up with me, I'll carry the burden. You were never meant to carry that burden. Because I'm gentle and humble, and I'm, I'm going to take care of you. And I think a lot of us right now have all kinds of burden. We look around right now. Some people are struggling with some health issues, some serious things. It's a burden. We look at what's going on across the world right now with, with wars. We look when we drive 
at the gas pump and we're paying the amounts. They're saying it could go up to seven or eight dollars a gallon. We see inflation. Forty years, highest it's been in forty years. We see, we see things. We've just got through a pandemic or working through a pandemic. We've we've been hit with a lot of things right now, and it's it, we get this burden. I don't know about you, but I start feeling the weight on my shoulders when I read the headlines. And what we need to do is say, wait a second, time out. I've got I've got a I've got an omnipotent God who is a gentle leader, and He gives me the offer to just take my burdens and give them to him because he can, can't handle those things. But Jesus responded in a lot of ways. Jesus was always responding in just the right way. You remember the time when Jesus went into the temple and he went there and he saw something that just really bothered him with righteous anger. He saw that they had taken the temple and they were buying and selling and he, and it just, he just kind of controlled righteous anger he made a whip and he was running people out and turning over the tables of the money changers and you think that's not very gentle but it was the right thing to do that moment because here's the thing you need to understand about gentleness listen to this gentleness let me tell you what it does not mean because this is where we get the wrong idea gentleness is not weakness it's not passivity it's not being someone's doormat it's not cowardice. It's not a lack of conviction. It is not timidity. It's not complacency. It's not the lack of a backbone. It's not being soft. It's not the unwillingness. It's, it's not have a willingness to have peace at any cost. It's not shyness. It has nothing to do with whether you're not you're introverted or extroverted. It really doesn't even have anything to do with if you're one of those naturally nice people or not. Gentleness is different. You stand up for what's right. But you choose your battles wisely. Now, that's what it is. How do we use this in relationships? Who needs gentleness? Well, let me give you the first type of person. And we need to use gentleness when in conflict. Anybody ever have a conflict? Only a few of you? Well, just wait. You will, okay? Here's the thing. You have conflicts probably on a regular basis. You know why? Because it's kind of normal. We're human beings. We don't always agree on everything, but we, so we have conflict. Some are bigger than others, but there's conflict. And conflict, when we're in conflict, listen, how you respond to conflict, and everybody's a little different. Sometimes people, and this, this is bad for relationships, but if your idea, when I get in conflict with someone that I'm in relationship with, and my, if my goal is to win the conflict, no matter what I do to the person, you know, my goal, ultimately I want to win. And that might mean I hurt some people, but that's okay because I want to win. If that's your goal, you're, you're, you're missing it. Some people, when they get in a conflict, what they're thinking is, you know what, I'm going to fight fire with fire. You come at me, I'm coming at you. We're going we're gonna to duke it out right here. And I'm going to tell you something. What the Bible teaches is that we need to take the high road. How you respond in the middle of a conflict will determine whether it escalates or de-escalates. Whether it boils over or blows over, it's your choice. In Proverbs chapter 15, the Bible says this, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. A gentle response 
has a way of diffusing a situation. If you went home from church today and your house was on fire and you had a choice to take a bucket of gasoline or a bucket of water, which one are you going to throw on it? You're going to take the water because we know what will happen if you throw the gasoline on it. It accelerates a fire. Water puts the fire out. That's what a gentle answer does. And when you're in a, in a situation where there's a tense conflict, if you want to fight fire with fire, you're going to have some problems. But if you'll just take a step back and you will gently answer. Again, you're not just giving in. You're stating your response. You're doing it in the right way. You're being careful of not just what comes out of your mouth, but how you say it, because that's part of the answer. Like I can use my tone of voice to give you an answer one way in a gentle way or a harsh way, and there'll be a difference of how you respond to me. I've got to watch how I respond when it comes to sarcasm. My body language, my gestures all play a part in my response when I'm in conflict, when you're in conflict, because it's going to happen. Conflict's going to happen. You're going to have conflict with your kids. Kids are going to have conflict with their parents. You're going to have conflict with a coworker. You're going to have conflict with your boss. You're going to have conflict with, with your spouse. It's just part of life, and how you deal with conflict will determine whether or not it has a good outcome or a bad outcome. What we need to do is be gentle in the way that we respond. What I've learned, and maybe it's just, um, maybe it's just kind of something I've picked up with years, and that is that I realize that, realize that not everything is worth fighting about. Have you figured that out yet? Some of you haven't figured that out yet. And you're fighting about everything, like everything. Every Facebook thing you can figure out, you're in an argument with somebody. Anybody that crosses or doesn't believe exactly like you, you, you want to fight. You, you, you like conflict. And all you're doing is driving people away from you. What we need to do is, is, is be wise. You need to say, which battles are worth fighting? And by doing that, listen, it's not being weak, it's being wise. Because that's how some of you believe. Well, if I do that, everybody's going to take that as a sign of weakness. No, it's a sign of wisdom. I learned a long time ago that, you know, that there are people that are going to talk about you. There are people that are not going to like you. And you, you may, they might not even know you. Look, we, we started a church almost 24 years ago. And over that period of time, there's been a lot of people who have misunderstood me, the church. And I wanted to defend all the time. But I realized it. There's, why? Like, why do, God is my defender. The people who know me won't believe it anyways, and the people who don't like me, uh, they're not going to like me anyway. So why am I so worried about that? I need to just be about the Father's business and, and do what I need to do and not worry about fighting with everybody. I need to be gentle in my response. doesn't mean it's weak. It means it's wise. You just learn over time that not everything's worth fighting. But that, now, if it comes to something about a value or conviction, that's different. We fight for that. That righteous anger that Jesus, when he stood up and did what he needed to do because it was the right thing to do. This is not just, oh, well, I just don't, I don't want to make any waves here. No, when it's, when it's worth fighting about, you fight. But not everything's worth fighting about. And I want you to watch. I'm going to show you something here. That Jesus, who, again, is God in flesh, he has ultimate power. He's omnipotent. And Jesus always 
controls the power that he has and responds in a gentle manner to those people who are probably deserving of his wrath. All right, let me show you some examples of what I'm talking about. Jesus, at this point I'm about to read, he has been arrested unjustly. He has been put through this mockery of a court system. He is now standing before a Roman official named Pilate who has a lot of power. He has authority. He has a position. And he's a, not really a good leader. And here's the conversation. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. Can you just pick, put yourself in that situation? You've got an earthly leader with a little bit of power who is, thinks he's got a whole lot more than he does speaking to the Son of God and telling him, you need to talk to me now and explain some things to me. Don't you realize I have the power to either release you or crucify you? And Jesus didn't answer other than to say the only power you have has been given to you you know what i would have done in that moment it says oh you you think so buddy i'd have snapped my fingers and that would have been the end of Pilate, wouldn't you <laughs> but he didn't do that that's not how jesus responded he was gentle in his response when when jesus was beaten and mocked and stripped of his clothing he didn't speak when his disciples bailed on him in his time of need and he saw them later, he didn't give them a piece of his mind. He loved them. When Peter, who had denied him three times, Jesus saw him on the seashore that day, he cooked Peter breakfast. When Judas, who one of his 12 disciples who betrayed him with a kiss, Jesus' response was, do what you need to do, my friend, called him his friend. As they nailed him to a cross, Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. His response was always the gentle response. Listen, when you're in a conflict with someone, we need to take some cues here. So we need to be gentle with people who, when we're in conflict, but also we need to use gentleness with those who have made mistakes. Anybody ever made a mistake in this room? Aren't you glad God was gentle with you? But sometimes when someone makes a mistake, maybe it's one of our kids. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's maybe it's an employee. We have a tendency sometimes to come down pretty hard when what they really need is a little grace. And we need to start responding how God responds to us. I want to show you, I'm going to kind of read a pass, from a passage. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'll just set it up. In John chapter 8, Jesus is, um, the, the religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders, and Jesus didn't get along real well because they, they, he was a threat to them and they wanted him out of the picture. 
So they would often try to trick him in some, in some way, try to, you know, make him look bad. And so one time they had this woman who, that was caught in adultery, in an adulterous relationship, and they brought her to Jesus, and they threw her down at his feet. And they said to Jesus, they said, the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, says that we need to stone this woman for what she's done, which was an Old Testament law. The law says we need to do this. What do you say we should do? Now, they knew that Jesus was a gentle, grace-giving person. They didn't recognize him as God. He was. They didn't. But they knew that he erred on the side of grace. So they thought, well, this will put him over. He's going to have to deny the law of Moses, and now we've got him where we want him. And said, they, the law of Moses says to stone him. What do you th- think, say we should do? And Jesus said, okay, the law does say that. Why don't we do this? All right. The one who has never sinned, go ahead and cast the first stone. And he just kind of bent down and started writing in the sand. And then they realized they were busted, so one by one, they left. And he was just alone there with the woman, just he and her, because the rest of them had to leave because they knew that they had sinned in their own lives. And here's what, here's what he said. Then Jesus stood up again and said, said, and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. This was a woman who had a situation where she was caught in the middle of a very awkward, precarious situation, right? And the law was right. She probably deserved to be stoned. But the only one who had the credentials... To be able to stone her, the one without sin, was the one who said, I'm not going to condemn you. Because the Bible says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That no matter what we do, we don't get a pass. There is some consequence, but, but there is grace found at the end of that. And what Jesus was saying, look, by example, Jesus had a person who had who was broken, somebody who had made a mistake. And rather than kick them, kick her when she was down, he said, I'm not going to condemn you. Now, don't. Go and sin no more. There's, you know, there's some responsibility here, I'm, I'm, but, but I'm giving you grace. And I'm just saying, when you are in a situation where you have the authority, the power, the position over someone who has made a mistake, how do you handle that? Are you a harsh person or are you a gentle person? We need, to, we need to be gentle in our response for those who've made mistakes because we've made a lot of mistakes and God is, is gentle with us. In Galatians, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So the response when you see someone who's made a mistake is to gently restore them, humbly and gently restore them rather than kind of push their face down into the mistake they've made and which a lot of us are really good at. I, want, I wanted to share a story, kind of a, kind of a closing because we all deserve God's wrath. Because of our sin. We deserve. That's what we deserve. And that would be a just punishment for us because we have sinned against God. But God, in his grace and his mercy, responds to us in gentleness. And I'm thankful for that. And that ought to be our response. And as a church, 
Since day one, the way that we've always tried to respond for people who've made mistakes, the people who have been the outcasts, the people who have been the, you know, the ones who have been the misfits and broken people like all of us, we've always tried to respond gently. That's why we tell people we don't care where you've been and what you've done. Bring your baggage, we'll help you unpack it. We want to be that kind of grace-giving, gentle response to people because all of us have made mistakes. And what the, what the religious leaders always seemed to forget was that they were just as mistake-prone as everybody else. And they were as much need of grace as anybody else. So I want to close with a story that Tony Campolo tells. Uh, true story. Tony Campolo was, is, a, is a Christian author, and he's, I think he was like a psychologist or something like that. But anyway, so he writes that he was, this is years ago, he was scheduled to speak in Honolulu, he got his plane, he got there, it was a late flight, and he, when he got there, he had a little jet lag, and it was, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, but he was hungry. He couldn't go to sleep. So he decided, I'll go try to find a restaurant, or maybe, you know, I get a bite to eat, and I'll be able to fall asleep later. But he couldn't find anything open. Eventually, he kind of was wandering around, he came down like this back alley kind of place, and there was a greasy spoon diner that the lights were on, and he went in there, and, uh, and it was open. And he said he was afraid to touch anything. It was just so dirty, but he was hungry. And so the guy behind the counter, there was only two people in there beside himself. The guy behind the counter, whose name was Harry, kind of a rough kind of guy, and his wife, who was the cook, back in the back. And so Campolo comes in there and says, uh, I'd like a cup of coffee and a donut. And so he does that, and he's sitting there eating his donut and drinking his coffee when 3.30 in the morning, uh, eight or nine prostitutes came in who had just finished working and they kind of all got on in the counter and he's kind of right in the middle of all of them and he's just sitting there eating his donut and um, they're having conversation and then the the one beside him um, he heard he's overhearing the conversation he hears her say to her friend who was sitting the other side of her she said tomorrow's my birthday I'm going to be 39 years old and the lady beside her sarcastically said, well, what do you want? A party or something? You want us to get you a cake or something? Big deal. It's your birthday. The other one said, well, I'm not making a big deal, but why do you have to be so mean? It's just that I've never had a birthday before, and I was just saying tomorrow's my birthday. That's all. And after a little while, all the prostitutes kind of made their way out, and Tony Campolo was still sitting there. And he said to the guy, do these ladies come in every night? He said, just like clockwork, 3.30 every morning, they're here. He said, well, even the one that was sitting beside me, he said, oh, you mean Agnes? Yeah, she comes every day, 3.30. And he said, well, tomorrow's her birthday. I'd like to throw her a birthday party. Would that be okay? Harry said, well, I guess so. Why not? So he calls his wife and says, hey, this guy wants to have a birthday party for Agnes. And his wife said, well, that's, that's nice because Agnes is a really nice person. And so he makes these plans. He said, okay, I'm coming at 2.30 in the morning, morning. I'll be here. He, bring, he shows up. He's got crepe paper. He's got party favors. He's got all kinds of things. He's got a beautiful birthday cake. It says, happy birthday, Agnes. And they've now got the word out to all the prostitutes in Honolulu about the party. So at 3.15, all of the prostitutes in, in Honolulu, they're all in there. And they're just waiting for Agnes and the other lady to show up. And so as they sit there at 3.30, right on the button, here comes Agnes. They open the door, and they all scream, happy birthday, Agnes. And they've got the 
cake and the candles lit, and she's just, she's dumbfounded. She's never experienced anything like this. She's so happy, she's in tears. And so they're like, come on, Agnes, come on, Agnes, come on. Blow out the candles, make a wish, and cut the cake, and let's eat the cake. She got up by the cake, and she just stood there. She couldn't blow out the candles. She, she didn't want to do anything. She was just taking in the moment, and she finally says, do I have to do that? Do I have to cut the cake? I've never had a cake. Would it be okay if I took it and showed my mother? And Harry said, well, I guess so. She goes, well, I only live a couple doors down. I'll just bring it, let her see it, and I'll be back. And so she picked up the cake. He said she carried it like the Holy Grail. She walked out. She was so proud of her cake. And she went out into the streets, and the rest of them were just, like, stunned. They were just like everybody else is just sitting there not knowing what to do. So Campolo was like, I don't know what to do. He goes, why don't we pray? So here he is with all these prostitutes, and he begins to pray. He prays for Agnes. He prays for God, that God would protect her. He prays for her life. He prays for her salvation. He prays for her health. He says, amen. And then the, Harry says, hey, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. And Campola said, well, I'm not a preacher. He goes, well, what kind of church do you go to anyways? And Campola said it was something like God gave him. He said, I go to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry said, nah, there ain't no church like that. If there was, I'd go to it. And I just want to tell you guys, when we find people who are broken people, it is imperative for us as individuals and as a church to respond like that in a way that says we don't care what you've done, where you've been, or what mistakes you've made, we are here, and you, can, you will be met with gentleness, and you will be loved and accepted, and you will be given grace and mercy because that's how God accepts us. And the minute we forget that, the minute we forget that is the minute we turn internal and we become like the religious Pharisees that think they're better than anybody else and what we need to every day, thank God for his grace, his mercy, and his gentleness with dealing with us and not dealing the way that we should be dealt with. Guys, relationships are critical. You get one shot raising your kids. You get one shot loving your spouse. You get one shot with some of those people that God puts in your path. Let's do the best that we possibly can. Let's be people who, are, who when we're in conflict, we, we display gentleness. Not because we're weak, but because we're wise. Because we know that there's a bigger picture. Because you can, you can, you can win the war but lose the battle. And this is what we... And, and then the, on the other hand, when we come into contact with people who are making mistakes, because we all do, when we, when we encounter that, when our kids disappoint us, when our spouse disappoints us, when our coworker disappoints us, when they make a mistake, instead of coming down hard on them, let's show them some gentleness. Because we've got a God who's got all power and yet keeps that power under control and shows us that kind of grace in our lives. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the gentleness that you have. You, this, 
incredible, omnipotent God and so caring and loving and gentle with your children. And God, I pray that we would always respond the way that you would respond to situations. That we would recognize that we are, we've been shown so much grace and mercy. And you've dealt with us so kindly that we would do the same as we encounter people. When we're in those conflicts and we feel like lashing out, God, I pray that we would just take a minute and think about the repercussions of doing that. When we're faced with someone who's made a mistake, that we would be the person who would restore them gently. And that we'd be the kind of church that Tony Campolo described that would throw a party for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning to show the love of God. God, I pray for those people in this room, those people watching online that have never had a relationship with Jesus, that have never invited you to be the Lord of their lives for whatever thing that's kept them from doing it. Maybe it's the thought that they're too far gone, they've made too many mistakes. Maybe it's their pride. Maybe it's that they just never really knew who you were, but today something clicked inside of them. Something happened, and, 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 it, and your spirit has kind of ignited something inside of them that says, I am hungry for God, that I need Jesus, that I need salvation, that I need forgiveness. And if that is you right here, right now, don't let this moment pass. Don't walk out of this room. Don't click off to another site without making a decision to follow Jesus. And if that's what you like to do right now and you're ready to commit your life to him, maybe offer a prayer like this, Jesus, I am giving you my life. I lay my life down and I ask you to come and take my life, my broken life, the mistakes I've made, forgive me. Make me a new person. I, I will follow you from this day forward. God's continue to send us people who are broken because we're all broken. At some level, we've all made so many mistakes. We've We've messed things up so bad. And yet you extend your hand of grace to us, God. May we be those kind of people. Thank you for the day that we've had today, God, for the worship that we've had, for your word, for your Holy Spirit moving. I pray, God, especially for those who are carrying the heavy burdens that we talked about earlier. God, may, may they in, walk through that by trusting you. You would guide them step by step. Thank you that you never turn away. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You're always faithful. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.